Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Sharon Sewell-Fairman and Pat Jenny join me to talk about using financial statements to make decisions. I am thrilled to introduce our first guest today, Sharon Sewell-Fairman. Sharon is the Executive Director of the Workforce Professionals Training Institute, or WPTI. Welcome, Sharon. Ah, Good morning, Amy. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thanks, Sharon. If you wouldn't mind, uh, can you please tell us a little bit about WPTI and the work that you do? Sure. WPTI has been around since 2004. Our mission is to really uh, improve the, the capacity of people, programs, and organizations who, whose main goal is to generate pathways out of poverty through the employment lens. And we do that in three ways. Uh, We do it through providing professional training to build the skills of frontline workforce uh, professionals. We also offer consulting services um, to build, um, do program design as well as organizational development. And the third thing is systems building and really looking across the workforce ecosystem to identify promising practices, innovative practices, but also identify what are gaps in that system. And this is all done to help thousands of low-income New York City residents to train, prepare, and connect them to employment so that they can make family-supportive wages, right, to move out of poverty. And you've really done some extraordinary work over the course of the past few years, which I know have also been a time of tremendous growth, both from a financial perspective and just from a relationship building perspective. You've built this extraordinary board of directors, wonderful relationship with funders, and that's really been the end result of quite a bit of work. Can you please take us back a few years to where the organization was when you and I first met and some of the struggles that you faced at that time. Wow, you have to take me back, huh, Amy? Um, What WPTI was looking at at that point is we were part of an umbrella organization and typically for public contracts, we have to do the work first, then the money comes in, right? It's a cost reimbursement. And so cash flow becomes an issue. And so being a part of an umbrella organization, that umbrella organization was able to, you know, keep the cash flow going for us while we do the work. We had ongoing concerns and we had to split from our umbrella organization. And so uh, when you came on board, Amy Brankay really helped us, one, to really look at our financial system and processes. So we understood from day to day where our finances were, what's the expected revenue that's going to come in and when. You helped us to begin tracking every expense. So we know at any given point in time, you know, how we were trending in terms of our finances. So that has really, really helped us over the past two years. And as a matter of fact, that the transition to being an independent organization and setting up our own financial infrastructure really helped us to have more ownership over our financial future 
and a better understanding of the true cost of doing business, as well as being flexible. Thank you, Sharon. I think that's actually a perfect segue to our next guest. I would like to introduce now Pat Jenny. Pat is the board treasurer of WPTI, and she also has a very strong history as a funder and was with the New York Community Trust for many years. Welcome, Pat. Thank you, Amy. Nice to be here with you and Sharon. I am a former foundation official. I retired in February of 2019 from the New York Community Trust, which is the Community Foundation for New York City. I served there for over 35 years, starting always in a grant-making capacity and ended up as the vice president for the whole grants program, working with a tremendous team of program officers. So I would say I had a pretty special relationship with WPTI from even before it was founded. When I retired, I was approached by WPTI to serve on the board and joined the board I believe at the end of 2019, just as it was becoming an independent 501c3 nonprofit. Thanks, Pat. And I would definitely appreciate your views regarding your current role as the board treasurer. I think it's a very hard role for small nonprofits in particular to fill. And I'm curious what prompted you to accept this role and maybe help us understand what your experience has been thus far. Well, at the trust and certainly with the collaboration of foundations that was focused on workforce development, the the financial viability of nonprofits is something that's top of mind for any funder. Nobody wants to make a grant to an organization that's going to go out of business while it's being supported. So most grant-making organizations do pretty extensive research into the finances of an organization before it provides a grant and hopes that it knows what it's getting into. We're partners with these organizations and and we all are hoping for success. Success is not possible unless the business part of the nonprofit is operating effectively. So, you know, over the course of my career as a grant maker, we developed a number of programs to help organizations in particular grant areas to become even better financially. So serving in a finance committee or being a treasurer is probably one of the most important things that any board member can do. So I'm happy to step up to that and feel I have some background just from the years of of working with nonprofits. I have to say, Amy, and I'm not doing this because this is your podcast, but the job has really been almost a joy because of Grand K Partners and the relationship that we have with you. It has made, just because of the deep expertise you have in nonprofit finances, it has made the job easier. Thanks, Pat. I really do. I really do appreciate the plug. But I think what has really just gone so well here has been you, Sharon, and you, Pat, are simultaneously reviewing financial statements on a monthly basis to make strategic decisions. And as the CFO, it puts me in an extraordinarily empowering position to actually have a sizable impact here. So Sharon, I'm going to start with you. Can we discuss, can you please talk about what you're doing, how you think about financial statements on a monthly basis. How do you use the statements? And if we use the forecast as a key metric, particularly as we've been doing 
managing around the pandemic. How have you been using this tool to manage the organization? Sure. No, um, having the, the financial statements, it has become a roadmap. As a leader of the organization, while strategically, you know, I have a sense of the finances, I think I think prior to Brand K coming on board, I overly relied on our accountant in terms of the financials. But since we've been working with Brand K and walking through and having those financial statements every month, it has helped myself and my executive team to think more strategically about staffing, about how much to invest in infrastructure, how much surplus that we need to, you know, we need to have at the end of the year. Do we make strategic decisions about, you know, reinvesting those surplus to really shore up our infrastructure? Or do we continue to to put those resources away to build up a solid, like, you know, cash flow for the organization? Speaking of cash flow, Each year, we're faced with fundraising for the year ahead, right? Because seldom do we get a contract that's multi-year. You know, we're constantly looking at how to raise revenue, how to, you know, make our budget. And while we wait on public contracts to be, sometimes we, I think at that point when I met you, we had to wait about a year or so for our contract to be registered. And in the meantime, we did the work. So it, it took a long time for us to be reimbursed. You know, we have a better understanding of, you know, are we going to be able to cover, you know, our payroll? It, it's very simple, I think, but it's also very challenging, you know, because when you when you talk about accounting and, and really looking at, you know, what do we have in the bank versus what's on paper, those are real strategic decisions we have to think about in terms of how the organization go forward. We have more of a strategic discussion. And an example of that is over this past year, everybody knows that there was a real challenge with COVID-19 and shift in, in funding priorities and, and so forth. And so we were able to take the financial statements, look at, you know, you know, what does it look like? And so that's where I find value in terms of uh, these financial statements, just keeping abreast of uh, where we are at any time and being able to be proactive and strategic in planning ahead. I think that makes perfect sense because really what's so exciting here is our conversations are very much strategic. We're not really getting into the nitty gritty details of the bookkeeping, but we are able to look at a high level at the forecast on a monthly basis And we're able to say, okay, this is what happens. What do we do now? And we can have long-term strategic conversations about how to pivot and mitigate multiple circumstances. Pat, your thoughts? Well, you know, another good example is COVID was certainly a great challenge for everybody and nonprofit organizations in particular. But it was also kind of an opportunity to think differently. What should we, should we be initiating some new programs And the organization did come up with a pretty ambitious effort to become a trainer in digital capacity for nonprofits as the world moved very quickly uh, from in-office to online operations. We have a very ambitious vision for that initiative, but we have to have our eyes on the resources that we are able to raise for it. In other words, we... 
can't get over our skis on this. We would love to go down that hill very fast and hire up, design, you know, get consultants, buy software. But we, I think the constant vigilance with which you and the finance committee is looking at our money situation every month has meant that we are rolling out that initiative at a pace that we can afford without getting ahead of ourselves. Even though we have a grand vision, we know that without the resources, we can't continue to spend the money, assuming that everything's going to come out all right at the end. So it's just a very good example of where the the very intentional financial forecasting is so critical to how we design a new initiative. That's interesting. And I feel like as the CFO of any organization, everybody always hates me because I'm the bearer of bad news. But I know, Sharon, you and I talk about this all the time because there is this natural tension between finance, whose job it is to manage every dollar and ensure that every dollar is accounted for and we're hitting our budget. And there's a tension between this and effectively the program team and the development team because you effectively need money in order to make money and you need money in order to manage your programs. So, you know, Pat just just mentioned the we embarked on a vision in terms of digital transformation, right? And so one of the tensions we had to face is typically and traditionally WPTI has always had in-person classroom training sessions. And in shifting those programs, we realized we really need to invest in the infrastructure. And given that many of those programs were government funding, and at the time we were looking at austerity budgets, right, at the government level, we had to make the decision about, you know, how do we invest in in things like to, to make us fully effective and functional in a remote environment, right? And to be able to continue to deliver the same level of services um, in a remote setting. And so we had to think about, we need to invest in a CRM, a customer relationship management database. We had to invest in a learning management system so people can both learn synchronously and asynchronously. And so in looking at that, we had to say, well, where do we get the money from to make this kind of investment? And we also didn't know what we didn't know. So we also had to think about, you know, digitizing content that was formally delivered in person, right? And so there were some lessons learned there around the cost of digitization and that it was way more than we budgeted. And so the tension that you talked about, we had to make a decision just looking at the financial statement, looking at the budget to say, you know what? We're, we're going to need to make the investment significantly into digitizing these courses, into investing in the infrastructure that, that's really necessary. So one of the trade-offs we did was say, you know what, given that, you know, it was social distance and, you know, COVID, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, we had to make the decisions, you know, do we give up? physical space that we're not using and we're we're paying significantly for it and then invest, you know, shift that investment to a CRM and an LMS and to really shore up the digital infrastructure we need to continue to deliver that service. And so 
in order to continue to deliver effective programs, we really had to make the decision to invest in the infrastructure. And in investing in the infrastructure, we then had to scale down our physical space uh, to be able to do that. Right. And across multiple other expenses as well. So doing a cost benefit analysis across every line of the organization has been something that we've really focused on this year. And then the same thing on the revenue side, revenue diversification, looking to build the organization using different funding stream. Pat, I know you've been heavily involved along with the fundraising committee around building out an individual giving platform, a special events platform, looking to build other unrestricted forms of funding. And these forms, once again, help to build a stable, cohesive organization moving forward. So Pat, can you please give us some thoughts here? Sure. I think a healthy nonprofit really needs resources from three different arenas. One, public sector, government, certainly institutional philanthropy, all of the foundations, and third, from individual donors. And generally, the public contracts and many of the grants from private philanthropy are for specific projects. They don't really provide a lot of what general operating support that an organization can use any way that it wants to. However, for, from individual donors, you have a much better chance you are going to get general operating support. It's hard to devote the time to thinking about how do we attract individuals who are going to form an attachment to WPTI and want to support it year after year from their, from their, through their private philanthropy, through their charitable contributions. And that is a, a big push right now at WPTI. And, and thanks to another board member who's really continuing to push us to do this. So we are trying to figure out different ways of having special events that introduce the organization to people who can uh, provide support, however small or however large. So I think it's what we are least experienced in doing, and it, it, it remains a really critical necessity that we start to do that. Amy, I just wanted to follow up on one other thing, too, and that is, you know, part of our business model, you know, the fee-for-service we would charge a fee for what we call public training that can be taken by, you know, individuals across multiple in organizations open to the public. And that public calendar training has been subsidized by uh, philanthropic funding and so forth. I think it, while the customers, you know, pay a heavily discounted fee. And in the past year, just given that, you know, everyone had limited, you know, resource constraints or the shifts, you know, WPTI had to make a decision. Do we charge a fee for public training or do we, given the need, there was just a need for, for training as, as organizations shift to remote or continue to see a, a, a increase in the number of people that that come through their doors for services. And so um, we had to make a decision. Do we, you know, do we charge a minimal fee, a nominal fee, or do we offer that in a complimentary way um, for, for the customers that, you know, are facing tight budgets? And so we ended up, you know, offering these complimentary. And so we still had to cover the cost of delivering that and, and being able to, to really understand your budget 
and understand where the constraints are, you know, gives us that flexibility as we continue to, to think about new and different ways to be able to cover the cost of our services and our programs. Okay, yes. I think that being able to pivot, especially during a pandemic, is absolutely critical. And I actually think that's a great place for us to hit on one final question. Now that we are hopefully at the end of the pandemic, Sharon, I'll start with you. Can you please give us two or three lessons learned over the past year and a half that you think would be valuable to other executive directors of small nonprofit organizations listening? Sure. One is having solid financial statements and a good grounding in where the organization is financially was very helpful in having conversations, uh, honest conversations with the board of directors and with the finance committee. And I remember saying to them at the start of the fiscal year, based on the financials and the projections, we're going to be out of money around halfway into the fiscal year. And I was pretty honest with that. And as a result of that, the, you know, the finance committee, the fundraising committee, you know, really got together and, and thought about strategic ways to be able to generate revenue and also make decisions about what needed to be done. So having the financial statements to fully understand where we are. The second thing is fully leveraging the board and being very transparent about where we are. Because what I found that was tremendously helpful as a leader is that with in, armed with information, the board was able to help me strategically think through to be able to adjust our, you know, our structure, our services to keep us sustainable and, you know, a year later, we not only exceeded the expectations, but we're still on good footing going forward. Thank you, Sharon. Great. Pat, your thoughts? I completely concur with Sharon that we wouldn't have been able to get a PP, two PP loans as easily as we did without the kind of financial information we had at our fingertips, thanks to the forecasting that we were doing on a monthly basis and all of the information we had about money coming in and money going out that was provided by Grand K to WPTI. So, I mean, that I, I think we've all learned that we can't continue to be in business unless we continue to have that kind of financial foundation um, and in information at our fingertips. I also think we all learned that you don't have to have in-person meetings to get work done. And all boards, I'm on a number of boards, it's, it's just been amazing to realize that you can run a small organization through the internet. You know, there are, there are certainly issues with it, and there are so many things that we all look forward to in going back, but uh, and going back to, to in-person meetings. But my suspicion is that we will hold on to a lot of the time efficiencies that we've achieved by being able to get together for an hour online without traveling throughout the five boroughs to get to a meeting. It'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next 12 months. But WPTI is not alone as a nonprofit um, in not having a really solid and advanced digital uh, infrastructure to operate on. But we managed to do it anyway. It convinces me that our digital transformation initiative is really critical to continue moving forward um, because we all... All nonprofits need to get up to speed on this. 
Great. Thank you both so much. This was wonderful. I truly appreciate your participation. Thank you. (laughs) Great. It was fun. Thank you so much. For listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next week.